Galaxy Lights, Coachella, Lightning Bolt Necklaces. 2023 was the year of Scandaval. On March 3rd, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandaval. One retrospective story told in three salacious parts. Listen December 26th on the Ringer Reality Feed. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year once again. Starting off the New Year right um, with some MAGA talk. Because, you know, that's how you got to start your year, you guys. You got to start it off right. (laughs) This is 2024. An amazing year coming up, boy. By amazing, meaning I have no idea what to expect. It's going to be... it's going to be a time and what a way to start off with, um, you know, a reporter from one of my favorite news sources, Puck News, and she has written a book called The MAGA Diaries, you guys. We got to start off with something like this. Come on. And it's very interesting. Look, uh, the subtitle is My Surreal Adventures Inside the Right Wing and How I Got Out. Um, welcome to Black and Era, Tina Nguyen. Great to, uh, great to join. I'm so excited. It's so nice to have you here to... Um, I had a great talk with Julie Yaffe about a year and a half ago, or whenever it was when Ukraine was first starting up. And oh, it was so interesting. It just, um, you know, made me go ahead and subscribe to Puck, you know, and just <laughs> really uh, just read you guys over there. You guys have such a great slate of just so many talented people just really doing some great work over there. So I want to give all of you guys props on what you're doing. Um, congratulations. Yeah, I, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm just like this little baby guppy swimming among giants. And then they're like, no, Tina, you're also a big deal too. So, you know, I'm going to roll with it. Oh yeah, definitely a big deal. That's a fact. Um, so let's start with the book and we'll just, we'll get into some of this and go wherever it goes, you know, how this, so the mega diaries, I love the title. It's so hilarious to me, you know, um, the book, it seems like this is one of those things where it's like uh, somebody who started life as a Scientologist or something, you know, mm. <laughs> that's what it feels like, that type of thing. And then suddenly they got out and now they're here to tell the story. Kind of like, uh, what's her name from uh, the TV show? Uh, uh, Lee, Leah Remy? Remy. Yeah, exactly. Remy, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. It's a little bit of that type of thing. Describe for us and maybe give us a broad overview of your journey. How about that? Start with that. Uh, 
basically I've described this book as the past seven years of Trumpism, but told mm-hmm. like the devil wears Prada. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so every time I've gone into the field as a journalist mm-hmm. and cover MAGA stuff over the past seven years, the first question everyone asks me is like, wait, how do you know all of this without mm. like wanting to die? And then I explained that I have a background in conservative stuff, mm-hmm. activism, journalism. And then they look at me and do a double take and like, wait, you're a woman of color whose parents right. were refugees and you grew up in Boston. How, how yeah. did you do this? Why, what, what drove you there? And this book is just, and has been my answer to all of those questions. Mm-hmm. And in the process of writing it, I sort of realized how the conservative movement itself works to mm-hmm. not only just bind the entire Republican party together at a certain level, but then also can get like, easily driven into Trumpism very, very, very quickly, like more Mm -hmm. fast than I thought was possible until like I started really thinking about it. And like all of my old friends from when I was younger in this movement um, as a college student started getting into these bigger and bigger positions of power. Um, All of these these groups that I kind of knew tangentially became more important and outsized and just understanding that level of this political movement and Mm -hmm. how formalized it is and how intellectually siloed it is, is Mm -hmm. so important to understanding exactly why the country is the way now. Yeah. uh, That's a great summation. I feel like the left, my criticism of the left in regards to is a certain, um, um, uh, let's say, um, description of the right. I don't think it's as informed as the right gets to have of the left because the right gets more of the left's experience, you know, in the mainstream. And I don't think the mm-hmm. left really, I, I think it's more glancing blows that are kind of surface, you know, and sometimes they hit their target, but it's not as penetrative as really observing what's going on. I say this because in the nineties, I did kind of my deep dive on the conservative side, you know, I was kind of fed up with some of the hypocrisies in Hollywood. So it's a different point of view, you know, and that type of stuff. And I wasn't really political before then, but it was interesting to, to just, uh, understand, you know, different points of view and that sort of thing. And, and I'm fascinated by how systems even have changed, you know, cause to me, there was a time when conservatism, you know, it didn't seem crazy. It just had a different set of ideologies. It was operating from, and they weren't always translatable to every issue, you know, and that's why they mm-hmm. came up with the term conservative, uh, compassionate conservatism, because it seemed like conservatism wasn't compassionate. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So they had to come up with this modifier to make it that way. But then it took it. The whole MAGA thing is fascinating to me because it's taken a turn I never anticipated. And it seems like it's different than... I guess the closest is the religious right movement in the early 80s that took mm-hmm. over when Reagan became president and kind of hijacked the Republican Party, you know, at that point. Do you kind of see similarities there at all in the way that you've observed this thing that's that's happened? I think it's similar uh, in terms of just like here's a group of people with pretty intense beliefs who mm-hmm. understand how the Republican Party works and know how to drive it and also have disproportionate voting power to the rest of the party. But 
in this case, Trumpism is just like not ideologically coherent. Uh, yes, it's just sort correct. of like it's just sort of like what is it that Trump feels today? Who's whispered to mm-hmm. him last time? And there's this uh thing I've reported on recently for Puck about these uh people trying to plan out the next Trump administration. Initially, mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh my God, there's a plan in place. Oh my God. And then I started looking into it and it turns out there are two organizations that have like the bigger claims. They're trying to say that they they are the true Trump administration in waiting. One of them's from Heritage, which is uh, which is more mm-hmm. historically quote unquote conservative, right. Reagan-esque. Right. Um, there's a second group called the America First Policy Institute, which was just created after Trump and they're trying to be the heritage for Trumpism, like formalizing what goes on in this man's brain. And when he does it, they come up with rationalizations or ways to protect what is, what Trumpism is trying to say. And Mm, I found that, yeah, I found that split really fascinating because like project, Mm -hmm. the heritage project could be picked up by any Republican president in, in fact, I think the project was announced at an event with Ron DeSantis speaking at it. Mm-hmm. But when the infrastructure of the movement and the economics of the movement and the social relationships that go back for like decades mm-hmm. are threatened by an outside force, either you adapt to it and you adapt its principles and its fealties and whatever, or you just suddenly become super irrelevant. And not and the, all the money in the world can't really stop you from a president who just kind of goes with the flow. At least in Christ, at least with the religious right, you could look at the Bible and theology and see. Okay, <laughs> right. this is all right. This is kind of what they yeah. want. Let's let's work with us. Yeah, I mean, and even at that time, the real thing that was happening was religion just wasn't as part of the mainstream culture as it had been. So it didn't need to be in politics because it was just a given and as it started to seep out of it, that was their way to, you know, create this, um, kind of, uh, power position, you know, in politics is kind of interesting, but you're absolutely right. It's void of ideology. And um, this America first thing, uh, it's very troubling in how it's manifested itself because it's all over the place and it creates really strange bedfellows. And it seems like one of the, the people in it is your old, is your boy, Tucker Carlson, uh, I guess you worked for early on, uh, which is preaching type of this. Give us some ins before we talk about that subject though, give us a little insight. on working with Tucker Carlson. When did you first work with him and what was that experience like? The reason I got to the caller in the first place was because I was in a conservative journalism network that placed me mm-hmm. there. And that wording itself should make your eyebrows raise a little bit, but the, Okay, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt again. Don't forget that. Let me go back one more step because this is a fascinating part of what your story is too, is how structured some of this is, especially for young people. Let's start there first, and then let's get into the Tucker Carlson of that. Like, is there an actual structure, like a ladder climbing type of thing? Or like, you know, I know there's turning point in some of that stuff for young people, but what was the what was the structural part of this when you were young and getting into this movement? Every spring and every fall, there would be these conservative list serves of jobs 
like e job mm -hmm. emails that would be blasted to people who were like at the research institute I was working at that was like founding fathers oriented or okay. like people who just wanted to go into politics in general and they would be internship opportunities, um, leadership camps, literally this thing called the Leadership Institute was continues to spam my inbox. And uh, the one that I was gravitating <laughs> to because I wanted to be a journalist was the uh -huh. uh, Institute for Humane Studies uh, journalism internship that provided free like internships in journalism that were paid uh mm. if you were a liberty-minded student and that was the phrase they used so yes mm -hmm. air quotes all the time yeah. <laughs> and um, when i applied for it i had to demonstrate that i had a very specific political leaning um mm. they were literally rejecting students from harvard um and picking me instead because their answers were as the guy who ran it told me incorrect um and we were sitting in these rooms for like there i only dial back like we would literally go to these seminars where you'd sit in a room and talk about journalistic mm -hmm. ethics and how to report on obamacare and whether it's a good thing that the state did this 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 or this and i do my internship for the summer i come back apparently i'm identified as someone who's like easily moldable or hardcore about this. And so they put me in wow. the um, official mentorship program and I am mm -hmm. given an actual mentor who is like, I will look over your resumes. I will help you write cover letters. I will like mm -hmm. forward leads to you in the networks that I know. Um, and they all ended up being like mildly conservative to really conservative. And the okay. reason I ended up at the caller was because he had known someone who knew the caller who was looking for a job. And like, it's sort of a, you know, old boys network, except for right. um, Reagan lovers at the time. And is that where you first started working with Tucker? Yes, it was pretty briefly, I'd say like four months or so, but apparently it's more time with Tucker Carlson than a lot of mainstream people <laughs> with who can speak conservative really understand. Um, and the thing that I will always remember about Tucker is he was super fun, but mm -hmm. the first thing he ever said to me uh, when he, we were, when I was interviewing with him, um, when he learned that I went to this high school, he was like, do you know Todd Bland? I'm like, yeah, he's the um, principal right now. And he goes, I hate him. And I'm like, oh my God, why do you hate Todd Bland so much? This is so funny. Mm -hmm. And, and right. he goes on this story about how when they were in high school, Todd Bland tried to steal his girlfriend from him. The woman he ended up marrying, mind you. So he technically won. Um, right. But, um, but when, you, when I'm looking back on it, I'm like, why is that the first thing Tucker ever said to me about how much he hated this guy from high school who I knew? And that is sort of my understanding of how Tucker is the way he is these days. Like, mm -hmm. wonderful man. will move heaven and earth for you. is so fun. Throws great parties. Um, literally, when he fired me, he actually gave me his personal cell so that my mother could call him and he would tell her that it wasn't my fault I got fired. Like, that's how nice he was. I could have had no mm -hmm. career after that, but he offered to be a reference and literally stopped my mom from hyperventilating. But that- Why did he fire you? Um, 
it's a very complicated story that happens in the book, but essentially I asked a very interesting question and all of a sudden the finances for my job were not there anymore. Oh, okay. Got um, it. long, long, long story, but he does, he's so kind that he does that. But conversely, if you offend him somehow, either ideologically or personally or whatever, um, he will flip on a dime and just raise you to the ground. Like he will go on a, yeah. like a scorched earth campaign about how awful you are. Right. And um, I interviewed him about 12 years after I was at the daily, wa at the caller. And I was like, all right, let's talk about journalism, where you land on it these days. What do you think about the media? And I kid you not, he spent maybe about 20 minutes of it raging against very specific journalists he knew back in DC and had these mm -hmm. like really pithy nicknames for them that were just brutal. And like, it was the kind of thing a magazine journalist would be good at. Um, I, God knows I was good at it at Vanity Fair, but it was like, Ariana Huffington's a narcissistic rich lady. Um, <laughs> ben Smith is a reptile creature. Uh, just like on and on and on like that. And that my takeaway is literally just, it, it's as simple as that. If there's some reason you cross him, he'll end you. Wow. Yeah. It's just this world of grievance, you know, and the intersection there with Trump, Trump is all about grievance and it's all grievance politics. It seems too, where the, the MAGA energy comes from this grievance politics that has, as you say, it's not logical. It's just all emotion and taken over that uh, wing of the party. And even, you know, anything Trump says, most of his speeches are, are grievance based. Mm. It's a really uh, powerful message and it appeals to a lot of people um like to mm -hmm. an unnerving degree sometimes because i initially maybe about the first two or three weeks of his candidacy i thought haha trump's really funny and then about maybe about like september of 2015 when i saw that 25 percent of voters supported him i started thinking oh oh no oh this is uh that's interesting <laughs> and I just didn't know whether the conservative movement, which had a really specific like free market, um, small government at that point, like, I think it was kind of tea party. So no more foreign wars was pretty popular then. Um, but for him to, <laughs> conveniently yeah. after starting them, <laughs> look, those are the neocons, man. The neocons are right. the bad guys now. It wasn't, it wasn't us. us. Yeah. Um, but the idea that like the conservative movement itself had like built itself to oppose liberalism over the past like six or seven decades, I didn't know whether mm -hmm. it had enough like of an immune system to withstand Trump coming in and taking all of the voters that they had taken for granted and being like, oh, actually, this is what the people you thought you were representing actually wanted. And uh, I remember back in 20, like December of that year, the National Review, which is um, this magazine that was always, we are the standard bearers of conservatism mm -hmm. and what's happening on the right. And right. Uh, they wrote this giant article called Against Trump and they collected like 
several dozen big deal conservative commentators to talk about how Trump wasn't a conservative. And then that clearly didn't matter. So, yeah. Uh, And what has like unnerved me about the movement is how quickly it became a Trump thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I've got a lot of theories as to why, like whether it's an incentive thing, whether they want money, whether they feel like terrified that they're going to lose their way of living. Uh, But I think at the core of it, it's like, if I'm a Republican who kind of likes what Trump is doing and someone is questioning what I'm doing, it's a direct attack on me personally. And so I'm going to dig in Mm -hmm. further and further and further into being pro-Trump. It's a hard thing to ask someone to not just like change their beliefs, but in the case of the movement, like jettison everything they've ever worked for, for the past couple of decades to the point that like, they're all like all of their friends are in this movement. Yeah. All of your, like you probably married someone who you met in the movement. It's that closely knit. And if you just cross it for a second or go against the party line, you're done. Like there's an entire industry of people who are ex Republicans who are Trump like critics now. And all of a sudden they're out. Have you ever noticed that among Democrats? No. Yeah. It's so fascinating. There is that, uh, um, it's funny when you describe how Tucker Carlson does that, that and Trump does the exact same thing, you know, and it seems like that's what that's what that MAGA party is, too. There's uh, uh, and that's why it has that cultish type of feel to it. You know, it's all hell, the fearless leader or you go to hell pretty much is what it is. And ideas are just gone, you know, except for this America first protectionism that is uh you know, to me, a real, you know, I just don't know where they're going to go with this. And, and, um, I just don't know if this exists outside of Trump. Do you think this, this, um, movement right now, if Trump wasn't here right now, would it still be going on? And would there be another face attached to it? I think there would only be another face attached to it if Trump designated a successor. Um, and, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And that successor was, adequately charismatic enough to hold everyone together. Um, There are so many different flavors of MAGA. uh, And I don't think people quite, no, I don't (laughs) think people quite appreciate that. Like when, please give us the flavors. Okay, no, there's like Christian MAGA, there's Q MAGA, there's um, like internet MAGA, there's government MAGA, there's like, I'm going to be an influencer MAGA. Uh, on and on and on, or player Ma- like smart MAGA, a bunch of people are trying to put the claim that they are the like actual publication that does smart MAGA. Um, that's a, another mm. story. But the but like here's an example that I think people would get. Um, so okay, when Mike Johnson comes out of nowhere to become speaker, people start looking at his background. They see that he's evangelical Christian. They see that he's so Christian that mm-hmm. he was like a constitutional lawyer defending, um, I think, a Bible theme park in an appellate court. Uh, that he wrote <laughs> right. this brief to the Supreme Court being like, hey, I think you should take Trump's case that overturns the election. And 
on a surface level, you'd look at all these data points and go like, this guy's MAGA. He is not MAGA mm -hmm. because the thing with MAGA is that it's all, it's more about tactics than it is about adhering to a belief. And mm -hmm. the reason that you're seeing a larger group of Republicans inside the House starting to oppose him is because he is doing this horrible thing that they will not abide, which is having to compromise with the Senate and the right. White House in order to get a budget passed. Which is how. Yeah. Which is how yeah, it works. Yeah, exactly. Like he's throwing right. other things at them. Like maybe we can impeach, uh, you know, Mayorkas as well as Biden. And they're like, no, we want you to cut the budget. If you're not cutting the budget, we will shut the government down. And not only do you have to give them a budget cut, you have to come out of that room that you negotiated with them with a budget that we like. And if he does not do that, I think he will... I hate to use the puck word of the day, but he will be defenestrated. <laughs> Which means, like, yeah. Why do you... Go on. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, no. Um, when uh, Kevin McCarthy got kicked out it was because he had for some reason thrown this clause during the negotiations to become speaker in the first place called the motion to vacate where one member can call a snap vote to remove the speaker at any given time and like no That's one right. wanted this except for matt gates but the moment matt gates did it there had to be enough members of Congress who had enough, who are either true believers in doing this or had enough pressure from their bases back home to make them do this. And it was sort of a given at that point that he was gone. And that rule hasn't changed. And now I think you need like two or one members to like get rid of the new speaker. It's get, it, like, it's very, it's down to the wire. These people are amazing to me, you know, uh, and they never make sense too. like, to me, I always say, why do the MAGAs always believe the left is tricking them, <laughs> you know, into doing things they, you know, like storming the Capitol, they were tricked by the left, these implanted FBI agents and everything into doing something they really didn't weren't there to do. You know, how can the MAGAs be so weak minded and yet so brilliant at the same time? Mm. It's just like an entire different way of thinking, just like a completely, it's an entire school of thought and approach to what the government should do, quite frankly. Like it's mm -hmm. legitimately an entire another language. Their roots go back to, I think the sixties with Goldwater where they're like, oh no, the government's being taken over by communists. What we need to do is fight the communists by putting together all these policy positions and starting to like, read young journalists to go into the media and like push our positions this way. And it just started spiraling and spiraling, spiraling. But at the very basis of it is the fear that society is moving too quickly forward and that you will have to do whatever it takes to prevent society from developing too quickly. Even if it means like upholding institutions that, you know, go against the values you proclaim to profess. Uh, and if you understand that as a branch off of the, the mainstream way that most people understand government and the powers that be and how they should operate and the mm -hmm. values that they, uh, like that what we all believe are like core American values, it just goes off in a totally different direction. And it's like developed and developed and developed over time. 
and they are all part of the same network, but like I have, I can speak Republican really, really well. And it's like so developed mm -hmm. off to the point that I um, literally went to a school to study very specifically different intellectual um, political philosophers that are like seminal texts and big deal texts on the right. And then the moment I went to mm -hmm. talk to an editor of mine, brilliant guy who, uh, went, who studied intellectual history and Ivy. And I was like, Hey, do you know who Leo Strauss is? And he's like, ah, we didn't really study him. And I'm like, what? Wait, no, like he's the biggest deal over there. <laughs> and at that point, I'm just like, Oh, I get it now. It's just like, I don't know. It's like speaking Japanese if you don't know anything about Japan. Yeah, it's really interesting social engineering. Um, I never would have guessed uh, when you talked about Claremont McKenna. I I figured that was more. Uh, I didn't know that there was that area there that was so right leaning uh, that was embedded in that campus. I had no idea. I live here, you know, in California, and and uh it always seems like a left mm -hmm. <laughs> you know there's more of that energy happening over there uh is that typical of some places where there are these kind of uh enclaves that exist in in the ivory towers or around the country here that we don't know about um, really i mean it depends there are colleges where there are strong chapters of activist groups like turning point usa which i really mm -hmm. big youth group um i think the most popular one in the country uh and then there are the intellectual types claremont mckenna was one of them um their government department was like fairly republican and then they were affiliated with another giant outside institution uh called the claremont institute i think there are like some conservative professors in ivy league schools like harvey mansfield at harvard um, and then there, mm -hmm. and this one is actually kind of under the radar, but it's becoming much more influential. There are these, uh, individual conservative colleges that have like self-selected a, um, specific view of how they should study and what type of books they should be reading, what kind of influences there should not be. Uh, so, um, mm -hmm. Hillsdale college is one of them. Liberty University, right. I think, is mm -hmm. something that everyone would get, but that's more Christian, like you were talking about earlier. Uh, right. I think the word mm -hmm. of the day is classical education. Yeah, that's yes. the um, that's how they're um, presenting it. So, a lot of like Plato, Aristotle, founding fathers, Christian theology, and then it just kind of goes off in that conservative direction I was talking about earlier. Tell me about Ron DeSantis. Like, why is he not a MAGA? Like, why is MAGA not embrace Ron DeSantis? It's he seems like he'd be perfect for MAGA. Is it because Trump is in the way? Well, there's Trump. Trump is in the way, but then there's also just a couple of fundamentally there are a couple of fundamental flaws that DeSantis took when it came to running for president. Um, and it goes beyond mm -hmm. his lack of charisma, I think. Um, first was that he made the awful sin of taking money from rich people, like traditional Republican donors with billions of dollars to spare. And they were all like, we're going to throw hundreds of millions of dollars at you, Ron DeSantis. And not only that, we're going to take all that money and put it as super PAC. And this is going to be a rich vehicle for you to go off and do whatever when we're going to support you. And we're literally going mm -hmm. to get in buses 
and drive you around the country. And everyone is just associating the never back down pack with billionaires who are influencing Ron DeSantis, which the fundamental promise okay. of Trump was I cannot be bought. So that's strike one. Strike two is that he is more of a uh, constitutional conservative than he is MAGA. And the initial, um, I think, promise of DeSantis was that he was going to execute on Trump policies, but do it in a way that was more legal and respectful of the Constitution. That's yeah. right. That's right. I and remember that. Yeah. The thing is, that leaves too much nuance. He'll do it away. He'll do it in a way that won't embarrass us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, right. But the thing is, is that like when you make things complicated like that, it opens the door, at least in the um, MAGA voter mindset, for like compromise and influence and those like petty mm. little games to like filter in. And it is not going to be pure. Even if he claims to be a conservative, it's just mm -hmm. like not enough. Um, like, here's a really interesting contradiction. Ron DeSantis is arguably way more pro-life than Donald Trump is. And Donald Trump is going on television saying, I'll strike a deal with the left and the right to end the to make the cutoff for getting an abortion uh, three months. And DeSantis is like, oh, no, I did it for six weeks. And <laughs> right. But no one cares. Right. Republicans, no one cares. No I one know. cares. These if things they, disqualify everybody else but Trump. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's why. It's because voters look at Trump and they're like, okay, maybe you're not so pro-life, but you did the thing that we wanted the most, which was appointing justices to the Supreme That's Court right. to overturn right. Roe. And that is something we will never forget. That's like the coolest, biggest thing you'll ever do on that front. Uh, this is something I said at the time, you know, like you could, you know, Trump could be a disaster on the border or tariffs or whatever you want, foreign policy, but he got those Supreme Court justices in. That was a long-term fight, a long-term battle. Um, and you make a distinction in your book about long-term versus these short-term things. I know, and have what some of the strategy is around that, which is kind of fascinating too. But that Roe v. Wade was a long-term thing, and Trump delivered on that. To me, he will always be rewarded for that by that mega crowd. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but that's also where the synergy between the left, between that, between the conservative movement and MAGA comes in. Like the right. reason that those seats were open was because Mitch McConnell had held them open. And right. Mitch McConnell's life and career can be traced back to the beginnings of the conservative activist movement. Like he mm. was a leadership institute graduate in the 60s as like a 20 something year old. That's how long this movement wow. has existed. But not only did he hold those open, there was a larger movement to hold other federal appointed seats open too. Like that's right. He could not like Obama could not fill those seats. The Senate would not confirm they were just vacant. And it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And then the moment that a Republican president came in, the move, the conservative movement, the Federalist Society, what have you, you're like, boom. All right, let's do this. Throw them in there. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings, maybe a getaway with the whole family. Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This to me represents, these are the things that really concern me more than even Trump himself as a leader. I've always thought, I'm not going to use the that phrase existential threat and all that, but you know, I think he is just by his mere presence doing a lot to just trash, you know, the way government works and so many systems and so many things that we're not going to feel for a lifetime. But even more important is exactly what you're talking about. These are systems that are happening right in front of us in real time over a long time, the taking over of local legislatures and that sort of thing. You mentioned this thing that I hadn't heard about. Um, what is it? The Constitutional Convention? Is the Convention the of, of States. Yeah. The Convention of States. Could you talk about that? Because when I read that, I was like, wait a minute. I didn't even know about this. <laughs> Explain what that is and what its purpose is, because what its purpose is to me opens, you know, a lot of nasty things up. Yeah. So the Convention of States is an activist movement whose goal is to rewrite the Constitution. And initially you might be like, that's silly. No one can do that. That requires so mm-hmm. much compromise. No, it does not. There is a provision mm. in Article 5 that says that state legislatures can individually call for um, conve- amendments mandatory conventions where like if you get two-thirds of the legislatures on board Mm -hmm. they will independently come together and be like okay here are the amendments we want to make to the constitution here we go we just have to vote on it no one else has to vote on it congress can't do jack all about it and you know what we've got the amendment in there that's great and so the states can independently act like this Mm -hmm. sidestepping the congress sidestepping the normal way constitutions are amended Mm -hmm. and that is or or amendments uh are amendments are amended let's say or amendments are created or whatever yeah yeah exactly and that wouldn't be a problem until you realize that most state legislatures are held by republicans who have exactly who have like gone through these networks and gone to these camps that i was talking about except Except right. for journalists, they're for state legislators. Um, their staffers will have gone through similar programs. Uh, they're all just sort of like, eh, you know what? I've got the support of this group. I guess if they call on me to like pull a convention forward, they're going to lean on me to do so. And I believe they need about like they need like two thirds of the um, state legislatures to do so, and they've like got quite a few who have already called mm-hmm. for them. 
Um, and it's a little bit more dicey when you've got states that have a Republican supermajority in the state legislature. Um, mm-hmm. And initially, this was launched in the Tea Party with a goal of reducing the size of government. But that could that could mean so many things. Like you could, the, mm-hmm. they did a trial run in Virginia in 2016, and one of their things was we're going to revoke the Commerce Clause, uh, which. That um, governs interstate tra- um, commerce, but that has also been the foundation for a lot of federal um, laws that have passed in the past, in like the past several decades, like the Civil Rights Act. A lot of Supreme mm-hmm. Court decisions about like what you can and cannot discriminate against because it's technically interstate right. commerce. Um, right. You pull out a couple of those building blocks, things just tumble really, really quickly. And you got the sheet of the constitution in front of you. What, what do you think the actual target would be? Mm. During the tea party, it was literally like during the tea party, the mo the move was to use that to, I think it was just like reduce taxation and something else kind of anodyne. The problem is when you put this tool in the hands of populists, yeah, who knows what they want, honestly. Like, right. I didn't think that John Eastman um, was going to use his constitutional knowledge to come up with a really creative interpretation that allowed Mike Pence to give the election to Donald Trump. But he developed it. He threw it in front of Pence. Pence said no, but he kept going, I can do this, we can do this, we can do this. Um, and look, government is all about the consent of the governed. And if right. enough people, like if the proper number of people as outlined in the constitution or any sort of rulemaking body is like, okay, no, I want things to be another way. Like what's stopping them? Mm-hmm. That's what's happening in Congress right now. There's a tiny majority, but that's because there's only a tiny number of Republicans who hold it. And that little majority can shut down the government and get rid of speakers. Yeah. I feel like one of the targets is the 22nd Amendment. Um, if ever there was something ripe for you mm-hmm. know, these you know, states to just say, yeah, we don't need that. I mean, who cares about that? You know, uh, Let's have our our glorious emperor for as long as we want. It's the United States. Why can't we have a president for as long? I mean, they used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I'm putting on my conservative hat for a second right now. So mm-hmm. um, apologies if you have a heart attack over this. Uh, the counter argument. No, 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 yeah. No. The counter argument would be like, look, FDR did it. He is one of our greatest, like FDR had four terms. He's one of our greatest presidents. He also had a lot of wartime authority and it saved America during world war two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? There's a lot of reasons that. Technically, yeah. it was just three terms because he died at the beginning of his four. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> and you know what? Biden, like, wouldn't you have rather had a second Trump presidency over Biden or whatever, like, horrible thing the Democrats are going to throw in there? Uh, I think there would still be enough resistance inside the Republican Party to go against that idea. And I'm pretty sure that there's enough resistance inside the MAGA media sphere against it. So Mm. I don't think that's something you'd have to worry about quite for quite some times. But I do love doing these thought experiments where I just (laughs) imagine how democracy could crumble if I were really, really inclined. 
Yeah, to me, that's been my biggest worry is uh, because I always thought, why would they vote for Trump knowing he's a lame duck immediately? You know, uh, why wouldn't they embrace someone else and find, you know, a successor to him and just blame every, you know, like the way some of these candidates like Nikki Haley's trying to blame. Yeah, I like Trump. It's too bad he's being indicted. You know, it'd be great to have him again. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like it seems like the parties should be, you know, at least trying to use that. And maybe Trump just still has too much power. But to me, if I'm going to be sinister about it, you know, I'm like, well, maybe there's some other things at work here that is going to be like a workaround mm -hmm. this whole lame duck kind of idea or I only have one term type of thing. Possibly. I mean, if there's anything about the MAGA movement is that's really creative and norms are, mm -hmm. you know, meant to be broken and because the for because the former way of doing things is just not the way that normal Americans should be addressed. Um that's not the most sophisticated way to articulate that argument. I think if you talked to someone at like the Federalist or American Greatness, another like MAGA type publication, they would be a lot more convincing of it than I am. But I am simply telling you what is happening out there. Are there any true intellectuals in this movement? I mean, define intellectual. There are a lot of smart people in the movement who can like put together a bunch of great sentences that are eloquent and compelling. Um, but mm -hmm. I don't know. You seem doubtful. Like, what do you think to, when you when well, you say intellectual? Like, what are you asking about? Well, I mean, conservatives have always had people like Buckley, you know, and these. Uh, even though you can place them in different areas, you could always pick whether it was conservative or liberal you know, intellectuals who could speak about the movement or that type of thing. Does MAGA have something like that? Is there anybody out there that, uh, mm. does it exist in there at all? Or is it just too fringy? Uh, it's too fringy and yet mainstream. That's the other thing. They get, they get to have both of those things. They get to be fringy and mainstream at the same time. Mm. It was like my argument with Fox News where it's like mainstream media. And yet they uh, claim to get, bigger ratings than anyone else. Well, that makes you mainstream media, doesn't it? If you get yeah. the biggest ratings, that is the definition of mainstream media. Well, look, the reason that, has, yeah. the reason that Tucker is able to <laughs> take a giant part of his audience is because he told them, there is this New York-based media corporation that silenced me because I dared to speak the truth. Obviously, like right. a conservative. Which... Like, okay, following you, Tucker. So there's this concept I came up with after my time just watching people in conservative media. Uh, I call it the infinite <laughs> fringe. And the premise is this. Uh, those people you're talking about, Buckley, um, the National Review, Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. Sure. There were- Bill Crystal, who yeah. they hate Bill Crystal. Oh, they now. hate Bill Crystal yeah. now. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. the, there were so few centralized- media outlets that dictated what was and was not conservative, that anytime someone mm -hmm. stepped out of their vision, they'd be like, nope, get out of here. Uh, there was one thing that keeps coming up in my reporting about the John Birch Society, which back in the mm -hmm. 60s was this extremely fringe yep. group that believed that, you know, it was anti-Semitic, believed that the Jews were taking over everything and whatnot. And Buckley, right. Buckley um, spent a lot of his political capital on trying to remove the Bir the Birchers out of mainstream conservatism because he knew that it just would not be acceptable to the coalition he was trying to put together. Mm -hmm. Like he was risking, right. uh, he was risking subscriptions. He was having meetings with everyone, uh, but he succeeded. And 
then the Birchers just kind of went off into the woods and did their own thing. That does not exist anymore because of the internet. So Mm -hmm. even if National Review said something like, oh, no, this guy's not conservative, get out of here, he will find another publication online with the same amount of reach as he did before, if not more so, because now he can be like, oh, yeah, the I was trying to be silenced. And even in that group, I've noticed this over and over again, the like a hardline right wing group will eject someone for not fitting their vision of conservatism. And then that guy will go elsewhere and start his own thing and gain as much influence over there. And then like if that person, if someone gets kicked out of there, they go elsewhere and further and further and further it goes. And while I don't think that each individual person has an intellectual thing that they're using to define what MAGA is, there's just a volume of them that put together are the MAGA media, are the MAGA influencers, and they have just as much pull, if not more, over people who are um, watching Fox News or reading National Review these days. Is Vivek um, Ramaswamy, is he MAGA or is he just clever? Meaning, does I, I can't decide whether he's just, you know, he's trying to be in the spotlight or do this thing and he's being MAGA adjacent, you know, in order to do that. Um, you know, he wrote, you know, whatever, some book about wokeism or that type of thing. But, you know, his proximity to to MAGA and Trump seems convenient to me, but I don't know where he... You know, he's he's got a lot of word salad going on mm-hmm. right now for me. I would call him um, I, I would call him Edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> like Edgelord MAGA. Um like he can speak MAGA very, very well. Um the yes. part of it that's combative and anti-establishment mm-hmm. and willing to right. like say to someone's face something that would like traditionally be kind of abhorrent, like your daughter uses TikTok. Mm-hmm. How do you think, like, how dare you accuse me of being in the CCP's pocket when your daughter is? And mm-hmm. that's online, that would be considered like an own. Um, right. And that's the constituency he's really catering towards. Uh, he just, he really recently didn't qualify for the CNN debate. And so instead of trying to do a counter programming thing, he went to a podcaster called Tim Pool. And Tim mm-hmm. Pool is really popular among the MAGA influencer online set, uh, but he's maybe like two steps beyond Ben Shapiro in terms of his like fringiness. And Vivek going there indicates, at least to me, that he has a really good grasp of where the internet MAGA is heading and that he can be a little bit edgy in order Mm -hmm. to win them over. Um, I don't think that's a viable broad-scale election strategy, but... uh, yeah, that's sort of where he. It's, that's where sort of where he lands, I think. And it's strange the the positions he's carving out sometimes. And this is where the overlap with Tucker Carlson that he's in bed with, which to me now confuses me about Trump. It's almost anti-Zionist, you know, which is not where the um, party really is, you know. And when I say that, like they had criticisms of Israel from the right, mm-hmm. not from the left, you know. I think it was. I don't. I'm. I don't want to misspeak it. I, I don't know if it was after October seventh or before, and it may be both. Mm-hmm. You know, but I know Tucker Carlson has been on this train for a while. Of it started with Ukraine. Why are we supporting them? Doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Israel. Like they have a theory that 
you know, they just want to send all these, you know, immigrants over here, you know, once this chaos is created in the Middle East mm. or whatever, like this grand conspiracy, which completely fits in the MAGA thing, yeah. but seems to be before Trump had his feelings hurt by Netanyahu, you know, so I don't know where he stands with Israel now because his feelings have been hurt. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, whatever whatever so. happens in Trump's mind is whatever <laughs> happens in Trump's mind. But like what you're describing is a two different strains of MAGA kind of coalescing into yeah. one um, strong policy, which is uh-huh. one, um, the religious right supports Israel so long as it is a place for Jews to go to. Um, and the belief in a lot of circles, and I'm paraphrasing this horrifically, is the moment that all the Jews return to Israel, the um, Christ will return to earth. So there's that part of it. And the moment that you get, yeah, it's connected to yeah, that, the more, to the Christian theology of it. Yeah, all. and the moment you right. get the Jews out of Israel, mm-hmm. then like, oh no, this can't happen. <laughs> uh, Where's Jesus gonna go? Yeah. Uh, the second part is just like Tucker's always been against um, foreign wars, and I would say a lot of MAGA populism stems from the fact that Iraq and Afghanistan were pretty pointless wars, loss of American life, loss of a lot of money. Um, sure. Didn't stop the rise of the Taliban or ISIS. And the idea that we're dropping more money into these governments that could or could not be corrupt um, is just like anathema to a huge segment of them. So it's a combination of these two things. Plus Trump having a lot of personal animus, like skin in the game now that Bibi Netanyahu's offended him. Uh, right. But, yeah. Right. So then you have like a really strong anti, then you have a strong figurehead attacking the government. So mm-hmm. uh, historical relationships in this case do not particularly matter. Mm. So how does this, none of this is going to have any effect on Trump, by the way. Probably not. No. Right. You know, yeah. Does he win this nomination easily? I think probably. Uh, there's always the there's always the X factor of whether there's a silent DeSantis voter that exists, which someone had tried to make the case to me in Iowa. Um, the theory is that there are a lot of people who wanted to vote DeSantis, but they can't say it out loud because otherwise the MAGA folk will beat them up. Um, if that kind of the Tom Bradley effect, yeah, uh, in a sense, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reserve the right to be pleasantly shocked if that happens, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything blocking Trump's path to the nomination. Like, even if he wins these early, st- like, even if DeSantis wins these early states, there are just too many deeply pro Trump states that are going to yeah. fall in line behind him. Um, yeah. So, nomination, I think, is pretty open to him. The presidential, I, I don't want to think that far, man. I don't. That's going to be my next question. I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, if uh, I think Biden's very vulnerable, just because uh, I don't trust anything mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of what's happening. It doesn't matter how the economy is. None of these things anymore. No, nothing really matters anymore mm-hmm. except these firmly held beliefs. Yeah. If the Biden, if the Biden team can figure out how to actually counteract that sense 
it's possible that they'll do it, but I just don't know whether they have the capacity to look inward and be like, all right, here's where we're failing. Here's where we could address it. Like they're approaching mm-hmm. this election. Like it's still 2022. Um, right. Like, that was the election that people were like, no, do we want election deniers in Congress? Absolutely not. We did that. Okay. We did that. Why are you still harping on January 6th? Do you think they're making a mistake in, you know, not necessarily the Democratic Party doing this, but by trying to get Trump off the ballot in some of these states, like almost making him a murder to these, which he already is to most, yeah. most of America? Yeah, like I obviously, the rule of law is the rule of law and how the rule of law is enforced in all of these states is up to them. But it's easy to message the deep states after me when you have four indictments, 96 counts, um being kicked off the ballot in this state and this state uh it's just like a pile of um oppression and deep state like morass that all you see in the aggregate is the people in charge are trying to prevent trump from running for president again and that should um for a lot of voters inflame their like sense of right and wrong. Yeah. I, I think there's more energy of people who feel Trump is being wrong for them to get out to vote. than there's energy that's pro Biden. That's what it feels like to me right now. And all of these things just add up into that same grievance soup, you know, that's going to, I think it's going to be a huge turnout for Trump in this election, you know, and I don't know how, I don't know what they're planning on the other side to like to energize people to come out for that. I have no idea. Yeah. I did briefly cover the progressive movement under the assumption that like they had similar stuff to the right too. No, they do not. They are just mm-hmm. kind of incoherent and in trying to figure out how to do things as quickly as possible. Like there was just no long-term planning and no ability to be like to improvise and be flexible. So um yeah. They would need like a complete psychological transplant to be, uh, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Yeah. Has there any? Yeah, no, I love that. That's hilarious. Um, I think you've talked about a, a mountain or something mm-hmm. like that in the book. Um, what, how is your journey? How is your journey of going through this? Has it affected your worldview at all? Like, have you noticed that you've changed as a person by going through this or certain things overturned in your mind? It's like, man, I can't believe I, I used to think this about that, Matt. Has any of that happened? Oh, or? yeah, it really has. I think one of the things writing this book mm-hmm. forced me to do was like, abs- like figure out why it is that I made those decisions without like other people telling me, you've made these mm-hmm. decisions, therefore you must have been like people literally asked me when I was working in New York, why are you not a Nazi? And like, what? I don't think I was like hateful back then. <laughs> was I hateful? And I had to like, look deep in myself to be like, did I express any <laughs> racial animus against anyone or anti-Semitism? I don't think I did. Maybe there were some like edgelord things I maybe joked about, but overall I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But then I was also like, wait, what permitted me to make that joke in the first place? What were the people mm-hmm. I was hanging around with like into and saying that made it okay for me to say this as a 19 year old. And the more I started thinking about systems and friendship groups and society and social circles, the more I was like, wait, oh, oh, oh yeah. This movement is actually like a pretty big center 
like part of it. And mm-hmm. I think that definitely made me better as a reporter and yeah. a bit more immune to people in my industry being like, wow, I can't believe you talk to these people. That must be so insane. Your brain must have like, how do you go? Like, how do you not go insane? I'm like, I don't, I'm not going insane. I just know this stuff really well. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned in the book how you couldn't work for a place like the New York Times because you'd lose all your sources. Yeah. Like nobody would really trust you anymore or give you any credibility. Is that I, true? I, I, I strongly suspect so. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I love about working at Puck is that I have my own very individual voice and I have a little bit more time to explain mm. a lot of background. Uh, which I really wouldn't be able to do if I had, like, even if we're an A1 story in the New York Times, like, I just don't have the room to explain all of these things that are happening behind the scenes. Like, in the book, there's right. what I call a series of horrifying endnotes. Like, if you read through it and you'll see, like, an endnote for something, and then you flip to the back of the book, there's just all of this history about the thing I've just referenced. And it's, like, on and mm-hmm. on and on and on. And... <laughs> You just think it, you're like, oh my God, there's so much behind this. This is not just, this is not a thing that I knew about. Right. There's so many tentacles. Mm. Tentacles, backstory, canon. Um, like, I don't know. I got really into pro wrestling a couple of years back and it's fun to watch mm. for sure. But if you know the backstory and all the feuds and the factions yeah. and the history, you just have like a deeper appreciation and connection to it. Yep. And once you know how sausage is made in certain areas, you know, it's kind of, kind of hard to take it the same way. What about, Oh, thank you so much, by the way, Tina, for speaking to me. Uh, I know you're real busy. The lot going on, as I said, um, but I want to, what is your take on Fox news right now? Like, I don't know what to make of Fox. I mean, it was, you know, that was town hall for everybody mm-hmm. on the right there, you know, even with the different things. I don't know. Is it still can, has MAGA kicked Fox out of the group right now? Are they still uh daddy or is it like an estranged uncle? It's a situation where they have the big, they have a lot of cable subscriptions and they have it playing in the background but will they take their cues from it? Probably not. Like the audience will remain the same, but mm-hmm. they there can't be one person on TV setting the agenda anymore, much less three. And the wow, the unique mm-hmm. problem of for Fox of Tucker being kicked out was that one he was not kicked out for any mm-hmm. like morally bad reason, like harassing women Mm -hmm. or taking money or having a drug problem. He was just kicked out with like no reason whatsoever. And that made sense. Mm -hmm. And two, he was willing to forego a 40, like a $40 million or something buyout in order to be able to keep speaking during the presidential election. Like his non-compete would have run out in Mm -hmm. 2024, December. And if he had, and if he'd signed it, he'd get a big pile of money. But then he was like, absolutely not. I'm going to find some way around this. And that's why he went to Twitter in the first place, because there was nothing in his clause that prevented him from going back to his personal socials. And at a certain point, he just kept flaunting mm-hmm. the rules more and more and more and taking a pretty creative route around what his non-compete told him to do. So like 
no, no, he can't go on a competitor's show on cable. What if he went on a platform that he wasn't paid to be on, but he had editorial control and was just out there saying his thoughts? Like, he, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just asking, I'm just asking I'm questions, just asking questions just but I'm questions. doing it in a way that legally fulfills mm -hmm. the parameters of my contract. And sure, he's not making money, mm -hmm. but he's getting eyeballs and he's getting, and he's staying relevant. And that was the most important thing to his team when he left. And will he launch, is he launching his own network or something? Is that what his plan is? Uh, he's launching his own streaming service, yes. Mm -hmm. So, and that doesn't, he can do that because he's still employed by Fox, right? Technically. Uh, he, he's technically employed by Fox. Um, I think there's a certain point there. They're just pushing the boundaries of his contract further and further and further and seeing if Fox will like try to push back against him. The problem mm -hmm. though is that if Fox does try to take him off the air, that just makes him more powerful because his right. audience will be like, they're trying to cancel Tucker again yeah. uh, in the same way that the deep state's trying to cancel Trump. The MAGA crucifixion. Uh, MAGA That's loves a word. <laughs> yes. They love, uh, <laughs> they love those crucifixions, except the main one. Uh, all right, Tina, Tina Nguyen, uh, the MAGA diaries, you guys, it's, uh, Look, just trying to figure out just how some of this mega mindset is, is, I don't know, my head just explodes. Just so much of it just doesn't make sense to me. But I mean, that's the thing with cultism is uh, it doesn't have to make sense. I think you only have to, I mean, this is a, the people that say, you know, about your feelings, you know, you can't, <laughs> you know, Facts don't care about your feelings and all that stuff. And yet this whole MAGA cult is based on grievance and feelings. That That's crazy. And a judicious interpretation of facts. Very judicious. Yes. Yeah, you can't, you can't just say that. I, I think it's important to not just say, oh, they're just being emotional. They're just being, uh, re they're just like being reactionary. Like it has to make sense to someone internally to decide oh, yeah, to go yeah. down this movement. So like, and I think it's important to understand that there is a coherent structure inside it, even if it doesn't make sense to someone who kind of branched away from them 70 years ago intellectually. Yeah, that's, I just, that's some I real still, nerd shit. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I appreciate it. But for I don't care whatever it is, however they justify it, to put put it all around a cipher like Trump still will never make sense to me. It just hasn't from the beginning, you know. Um, I just don't get it. You know, there's no, I just can't understand it. Pick anybody else. I could buy it, but that person, I just don't, you know? Well, 2024 is going to be great. <laughs> and we'll see what's going to happen. We'll have another conversation as a follow-up, uh, the, the MAGA diaries, but more important puck guys, go ahead and follow puck, follow Tina's column, um, subscribe. So you can read the whole thing. Not just a little bit that, you know, those things let you read or whatever. <laughs> Spend some money. Keep good journalism going, you guys. Mm, um, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the puck plug. Oh, the thanks, Tina. All it's, the plugs. It, yes, it's so great meeting you, too. You Take as care. well. You too. Bye.